back, everybody, to Big Nerdy Questions. Last week was our big 50th, and I want to thank everyone who participated in that, all the special guests, uh, and we finally have answered the question. I'm not going to say what our answer is to Kirk or Picard. You'll have to go back and listen if you missed it last week. Uh, but this week we have a special guest as well uh, for an interesting dive into gaming, but not just video gaming, all gaming. And the reason is... Our special guest, I'd like to welcome uh, Fabio Del Rio, a board game designer. Welcome to the Big Nerdy Questions. Thank you very much, guys. I hope by the end of this, I will at least be a uh, minor, more nerdy person. That is our goal. Uh, so <laughs> we, a- you might be asking, why bring on a game designer? Well, tonight we are continuing our Mount Rushmore series so astutely started by JP several weeks ago. We've already established the Mount Rushmore of genre television. Tonight, we are establishing the Mount Rushmore of gaming. But gaming in the sense of board games, tabletop games, video games, and anything else that fits the category. Before we get any further, though, uh, I'd like to introduce the rest of the panel. Uh, Callie, welcome to the show. Roll that die. JP is, of course, (laughs) back for a Mount Rushmore episode. And I am ready to play. And you know him, you love him, and at the end of the episode, he's going to commit capital murder. Welcome back, my co-host, Matt. It's not really a crime if it's a Gungan, just saying. And uh, Matt has also (laughs) obtained our sponsor for the evening. That's right, Josh. Tonight's episode is brought to you by the 20-sided die. D20s, the real high rollers. Well done, sir. Well played. You might say you rolled a 20 in charisma for that one. <laughs> Our big nerdy recommendation tonight will be a game, obviously, uh, but we want to hear from uh, Fabio. You just attended Gen Con, uh, which is the con for board game designers, and you wanted to tell us a little bit about some of the amazing things that you may have seen there. Yeah, it was uh, an amazing event. It's uh, uh, It was the 50th year of Gen Con, believe it or not. And uh, to give you a perspective on how the show has grown... It takes place in the Indiana Convention Center. It takes up the entire convention center. Plus, this year, it also took up Lucas Oil Stadium next door. And basically, they had tables set up all over the entire football stadium. Now, going, going back on the perspective, they had a museum basically on the 50 yard line that represented the size of the original Gen Con. And it was a museum dedicated to Gary Gyax, the uh, designer and creator of Dungeons and Dragons, but he was also uh, one of the founders of Gen Con. And basically, it took it took up about a forty by forty space. The original Gen Con. It was in the basement of a of a hotel uh, fifty years ago. And when you kind of step back, or literally when you entered the stadium and looked down upon it you could see that, okay, we had just left the convention center where maybe 75,000 attendees were just in. They could fill up all the seats in the stadium and look down upon this 40 by 40 space where the original Gen Con took place. And anyway, it was was really amazing. Uh, Lots of amazing games were introduced. I believe the unofficial count was... 500 new board games were either new for sale or new for demonstration at the show. And it, it's, it's got to be a record. It's uh, certainly 
a golden age of tabletop gaming right now. Um, and yeah, it was a real blast. They call it the, the best four days of gaming. And uh, they definitely were four great days. Is there a specific game that you think our listeners should check out? Yeah, one in particular that uh, is got a ton of praise and um, and sold 800 copies in three hours is a game by a company called Blue Orange Games. They're based out of San Francisco, and the game is called Photosynthesis. And the game it has it basically, in a nutshell, has to do with um, you know building uh, the growing of trees and um, you know in a nutshell it it has to do with placing and growing trees but it it done in such a beautiful elegant way Um, so I I think people should check that out it's uh, not an overly expensive game either it's in that 20 to 30 dollar range and it absolutely looks beautiful on the table you're you actually construct uh, cardboard trees throughout the board and uh, is already got a ton of positive reviews and as I said they sold literally 800 copies in three hours which I we did the math I think it worked out to three or four a minute <laughs> something like that that's incredible and, uh, it's, it's incredible yeah and like I said a beautiful game and a lot of people are anticipating that it will be nominated for what's called the Spiel de Jahres which is the German game of the year, which is basically like the Oscars of tabletop gaming. Wow. So, uh, yeah, it'll be huge for them because just this past year, they they won, uh, one of their games won the Spiel des Jahres uh, for a game called King Domino. Um, so, yeah, th- those are those are two I would mention, I would mention that people should look out for. And, um, yeah, Blue Orange, I know uh, quite a few of the people there, and they're amazing people that love games. And, um, you know, they, they really emphasize beautiful artwork and quality and, and super fun and easy-to-learn gameplay. That's so those awesome. would be, yeah, those would be a couple. I mean, I could, I could literally take up your show going through <laughs> <laughs> some of the new stuff. But, uh, you know, I think uh, those are two that come right to the to front of my mind. My wife teaches biology, and uh, they occasionally use games to, as you know, ways to reinforce the curriculum. And it sounds like photosynthesis has a, yet another ad- application in that sense. Uh, so yeah, why I, not? Think it, I think I think I think it totally would. You're right. It's uh, it has just enough of that educational value that you don't notice it's educational. <laughs> Which is probably <laughs> so, just uh, the right amount for most students. It is ex- exactly. <laughs> so does this mean she's going to be writing a proposal for a horticulture class? <laughs> it very very well be yes. Although occasionally the horticulture kids get really seedy. Wow! And so it begins. And so uh-huh. it begins. Uh, so, mm-hmm. Fabio, uh, thank you for the recommendations. And I want to get into your work a little bit and uh, talk for a few minutes before we get into Mount Rushmore. Uh, so, tell us about the company that you work for and the kind of games that you work on. Sure. So our company, CSE Games, we got started doing this in 2004, and um, we got into this business through uh, the opposite of, of nerddom, through uh, through sports. Um, my background was with uh, publishing. I, I worked at a, a sports collectibles magazine for several years out of out of, as we say in Canada, university. We don't say college. 
our college is the, the equivalent of junior college for you guys. Um, and after that, I, I worked at one of the hockey card manufacturers, uh, which, you know, trading cards, it, it kind of grew up as my, as my favorite hobby. Uh, you know, I would, uh, whether you were a comic book fan or a trading card fan, I think we have a lot of similar experiences going to shows and uh, negotiating with adults and trying to get deals and that sort of thing. Um, and then so after, you know, a few years doing both of those things, uh, we, we launched uh, our first game, which was um, which was a playing card based uh, hockey game, and it used a lot of basic basic uh, playing card rules, classic playing card rules like from poker and hearts to simulate uh, a hockey game. And we did a similar one based on football, um, but quickly we realized that there was a you know much bigger world uh, uh, outside of sports in terms of gaming. Uh, you know, there's lots of exciting themes and mechanics to be used, and and that that actually uh, put put an end to to my career as a as a so-called designer. Um, we you know the amount of time and effort and and tinkering that we did on those two games uh, was you know we came to realize like saying okay if we're gonna be a board game publisher. We can't be spending all of our time designing games because, you know, this is the, the trial and error stuff. This takes a long, long time to get it right. So it was our entry into the business, but, uh, you know, it, uh, I'm a retired game designer. <laughs> and we happen to be in a really special area outside of Toronto where many of the game artisans of Canada reside. And... Um, you know these guys it's guys and girls are an amazing group they they're constantly working on all kinds of different projects all kinds of different depths of strategy and they're really great people and we've we've gotten to know quite a few of them over the years and um and one of which is a gentleman by the name of uh Tim Brown not the former Notre Damer but uh, Tim W.K. Brown, a gentleman from just outside Toronto, who designed a game, uh, Gridstones. And um, the, original, the original printing of Gridstones was back in 2008. He had, he had sold the rights to another company, a uh, company out of Montreal. And um, after a few years, uh, you know, their, their contract had kind of ended. And so what we're doing is... Um, Next year will represent the 10th anniversary of Gridstones, and we are uh, re-releasing a, a new version. And uh, so, Gridstones is uh, what they call an abstract strategy game. Think of the the ancient game uh, Go, moving around store uh, stones on a board and strategizing that sort of thing. It, it's a it's a simpler version, uh, much simpler in the way of scoring. Um, so basically the game comes with a board. It's a, it's a grid, a six by six grid, and you place or remove stones onto the board. And the objective is to match one of the patterns on the cards in your hand. So each player is dealt out cards that have a three by three pattern in their hand. And your objective, you keep your cards in secret and you are trying to match all of the cards one by one. Uh, to the board, and the first one to uh, complete their cards first wins the game. Uh, 
Now, the, the game is super simple. You're placing stones, removing stones, trying to match cards, but that's kind of where the simplicity ends because you want to, you know, you, your opponents are doing the same, and the real skill is to be able to develop a, a kind of a pattern matching in, in your mind and, and planning ahead to, to complete, you know, more than one card at a time and, and so on. So, so this is a project where, we're uh, reintroducing and adding some fun new game elements. Plus, the really deep part of it is the theme that we're adding. So the original version was a, a straight abstract strategy game, no real theme to it. And we're adding a constellation theme. So think of it as if when you're looking at the board, you're looking into the sky. And the stones represent stars in the sky and you're trying to match up the stars that make up the constellations. So it was a, a, a theme that came up very organically. We, uh, we had uh, Tim and um, another gentleman named Jamie Jones, who did the uh, graphic design and artwork, um, work on the development for some new rules to the game and uh, you know, applying a theme. And that was a theme that really popped out at us. It, it just fits so nicely. And to take that theme even further, the stones that we're going to be using in the game are uh, versions of a stone called a star sapphire, which are which are basically sapphire stones that grow in nature or appear in nature, but they have a starburst that naturally uh, comes through the middle. So we were able to find uh, synthetic versions of these stones. And they will be kind of a nice highlight of the game where it really looks like you are placing stars on the board and matching those stars to the constellation cards in your hand. And um, so that gives a, you know, kind of a pretty full uh, description of how the game works. And, uh, and we'll be launching the, the Kickstarter for the game on August 31st. And uh, as part of that, we are going to be at uh, Fan Expo in Toronto, which is basically uh, Canada's version of Comic-Con, but Comic-Con for all fandom, for comics, horror, anime, gaming, tabletop gaming. So we figured it was, uh, the timing was good, the location was good, and uh, yeah, we're really excited about it. It's, it's uh, you know, the previous version of the game is a multiple award winner. And so it has, comes with a nice pedigree. You, you know you're getting a good game, and we feel like we've improved it with the look, with the gameplay, and the components as well. Awesome. And uh, this episode is we're being recorded before August 31st, but it is coming out after. So uh, I think our listeners should check out the Kickstarter. Just go to Kickstarter and search Gridstones, and they'll be able to support this amazing project. Yeah, or even easier, they can go to gridstones.com and it'll forward directly to the campaign when it's live. Awesome. And, it, and even if they're listening months afterwards, gridstones.com will go back to the product page where they can read all about it and potentially place a pre-order. Which is exactly what they should be doing uh, if you have all the ability to do so. Uh, <laughs> so when you, Fabio, are, are looking at a game that you want to publish... What elements do you think makes for a good tabletop gaming experience? Well, for us, we like to focus on games that are easy to learn, 
that you can teach virtually the whole game in one or two minutes. Uh, we look for games that typically take less than an hour to play. Um, you know, in this day and age, families are, you know, their time is valuable. Um, but they also see the value of getting together as a family. And that's been part of the, the renaissance of, of board games is that, um, you know, parents, parents want to get their kids off the, uh, you know, not to be playing video games all the time. I, you know, I believe that uh, video games are great. They're a lot of fun and they, I think they offer some, some great skills that can be developed, uh, in, in young people. But, uh, the idea of, you know, sitting at the table, you know, doing something that you're using your brain, uh, but still it's a social event. Um, that's been a big part of it. So, but the most important thing in, uh, in deciding on a game is the fun. And it sounds pretty basic, but it's, uh, it's something that always needs to be kept in mind when, when designers are putting together games. It's, you know, you could have a technically, you know, mechanically sound game that looks great, but you still need to find those moments in the game that really shine and try to build the game around those moments. And that's not something that's, uh, that can really be taught. That's kind of a feel thing. You know, as you go through your prototypes, you know, where, where are the key moments in, in the games and really and focus on those. Um, an example is there have been a couple of recent baseball games that have been published that are very popular. And one of them is called Baseball Highlights 2045. And it's, yes, it's a baseball game set in the future, but it's, as it says, it's baseball highlights, like you're watching the highlight package. So it's key moments in the game, not a full baseball simulation that, you know, takes over an hour. There's another game called Bottom of the Ninth, where it's just the bottom of the ninth, pitcher versus hitter. So that those are two examples of, you know, picking out the fun, the real fun of a game and building the game around that. And, and that's what we try to do when, uh, when games are pitched to us and kind of, you know, seeing, seeing beyond the prototypes that we're presented, uh, you know, seeing where it can go thematically and where the, you know, the real fun elements of the game are. That's awesome. So, and I think you, you have agreed to, Give one of our listeners the experience of playing one of these amazing games uh, in your catalog, uh, and they can enter this contest. It's our first contest through Big Nerdy Questions to get a free game from you guys, uh, and their way that they can do that is you can retweet this episode on Twitter, uh, and that'll give you one entry, or if you really want to stack the odds in your favor, you can review... Us, uh, B&Q, on iTunes or the other podcast uh, host of your choice. Screenshot that review and email it to us at bnqfeedback at gmail.com and you'll get 10 entries into the contest. And we will do a drawing a couple weeks from now and one lucky winner will get a copy of a game from Fabio's company's uh, catalog, which is really exciting. So thank you very much. <laughs> well, it's our pleasure. And... and uh... I think one of the games that we'll choose will, is a previous design from Tim Brown. Uh, so uh, listeners will get a feel, the, the winner will get a feel for what 
Gridstones is all about and the type of games that Tim designs. So uh, we'll leave it a bit of a surprise. I mean, it won't take much for people to do their own homework, but uh, I think that'll be uh, kind of a fun a fun prize for people. Awesome, and maybe Fabio will even sign it. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll get Tim. Tim would be more appropriate to sign it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but thank you for, uh, for that amazing offer. And like I said, one retweet uh, will get you a entry. Uh, one entry and a review, a screenshot of a review will get you 10 entries. Uh, so we will see how that shakes out. So thank you very much. Uh, Gridstones, I am so looking forward to playing it and I think it's, it's revolutionary game and you guys have been doing revolutionary work, but now we're going to transition into those uh, men and women who have revolutionized gaming as a whole. Uh, the Mount Rushmore series looks at people who have made nerd life what it is today. Uh, we've looked at genre television already, like I said earlier with JP. Later on, we're going to be talking about the uh, Mount Rushmore of nerdy movies, the Mount Rushmore of sci-fi and fantasy literature, and the Mount Rushmore of anime, and the Mount Rushmore of comics, uh, with, with Matt as our special expert on that one, as you well know. Uh, expect many Marvel uh, factoids in that episode. I don't know why. (laughs) Uh, But tonight we're going to be doing gaming. And since, JP, you hosted the last Mount Rushmore episode and did so well with it, and you let me start the the discussion last time, I will let you start this time. As a reminder, none of us know what each other has picked uh, going in. And if we overlap a pick, we will just say it when it comes to our turn. But instead of our usual B&Q format where we're all going to go and turn naming things, we're each going to do our complete list, uh, and we will see if, if there's any overlaps as we go along. So, JP, the floor is yours to carve the mountain. Well, thank you, Josh. Uh, so, my first pick is uh, probably not very surprising. Um, my first pick is going to be Shigeru Miyamoto from Nintendo. Uh, known as the creator of Donkey Kong and Super Mario. Uh, <laughs> it uh, shouldn't be too much of a surprise that um, that a gamer such as myself would put him on the Mount Rushmore. But in- interesting facts about Shigeru Miyamoto. Uh, number one, he actually didn't want to do video games. He originally wanted to draw comics. Did anybody know that? I did not. I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> How'd that work out for him? Um, not. He had to drive moving comics. He yeah, yeah moving comics. <laughs> <laughs> and and also, funny story. He actually got the interview at Nintendo because his dad knew a guy. <laughs> of course, he yeah. did. Yeah, and Donkey Kong, the original arcade Donkey Kong, was a complete accident. It it happened because there was a a game that that was originally released called Radar Scope that was uh, that did not take off very well in the United States, and so, he, so they needed to quickly figure out what to do with about a couple thousand cabinets that they just needed to, needed repurposed and filled with something else that they could put in arcades, and that's when uh, that's when Shigeru Miyamoto came up with this uh, this riff on the classic fairy tale version of Beauty and the Beast and that's when Donkey Kong was born. Nice. Yeah. 
So, uh, one of the most influential video games ever. Ever. Let's make it by accident. Yeah, okay. Yeah, why not? <laughs> That's how a lot of things happen, though. Well, if you think Pong about it. was can, was programmed by well, as just like a test run, but yeah, so it it can happen like that. Certainly. Pong was a repurposed oscilloscope. <laughs> <laughs> that is kind of what it looks like on the screen. That's because it's literally what the first one was made out of. Oh, okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. All right. So, yeah, my, my first choice is uh, Shigeru Miyamoto. Uh, my second choice, uh, I, I am not a D&D gamer, but purely out of respect for what D&D is, I will definitely throw Gary Gygax up there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I, don't, I don't really have much to say because, like I said, I'm, I'm not a D&D guy. It's not for me. So I'll just go ahead and move on. We'll hear more about him from someone else, I'm pretty confident. Okay, yeah. <laughs> We've already mentioned him, haven't we? Yes. Once well, or twice. Um, so my, my third choice is, uh, is a little different. It's, uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's based on a game that is one of the most influential games of all time. However, its origin is... Uh, often speculated, debated, and it's quite unclear where it originally began. So I think the only fair way to put this on my uh, on, on my personal um, Mount Rushmore of gaming is to just put the game itself up there, and I'm just going to say chess as my third pick. Hmm. Yeah, I was actually strongly considering it chess myself, but I could not find enough as to where who did it, so I was considering, like, Patient Zero, Designer Zero. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't do it, but I I totally agree with your decision to do so. My my uh, my proposal, if we ever were to etch this out in stone, is you just take the classic Staunton King symbol, and that's the face for that slot on Mount Rushmore, just the king. I would be okay with that. There we go. <laughs> see, see, I I would be a weirdo and have the the horse head from the night piece. Just really screw you, people. Like put it in somebody's mattress. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Depends. Are there any gungans nearby? <laughs> <laughs> and and so uh, my first, my fourth choice, um, just to to make it a little bit more personal to me, um, I, I would put uh, the, the man by the name of Keiji Inafune. The father of Mega Man as my fourth choice. Mega Man is one of the longest running and most prolific titles in the history of video gaming. It's got um, multiple, multiple, over half a dozen spin-off series. You know, all of which have almost a dozen games in there. there there's over, well over fifty Mega Man titles when you count them all up. Wow. And uh, I've probably played about thirty-five of them at least. <laughs> JP, I, mean, I have to ask. Go. What was your first Mega Man game? The first Mega Man game I ever played? Yes. Mega Man X2 on the Super Nintendo. The very first Mega Man game I ever played was also my very first handheld uh, cartridge for the original Game Boy being mm. Mega Man 4. I still have it somewhere in my bedroom. Nice, nice. Yeah, so- I... Not sure I, I, where, but it's in there. <laughs> I, I started playing uh, X2 on the Super NES, and then uh, 
later on I found the first Mega Man X game um, and played it for a while. Uh, and, and Which then, is an amazing game. Oh, of course, they both are. And then I, I started playing the original Mega Man series when I realized that Mega Man X was like a complete second series to a game that already to a, to a series that already had over ten games in it. You go back and you learn. I, I learned recently that in the old Mega Man X games, the reason or in the old Mega Man games, the reason why they had tunnels at the end of each level in between the uh, the the platforming stage and the boss was so that the game could actually delete the memory from the level and load the memory from the boss fight without crashing itself. That's how intense Mega Man was for the old NES. I found it to be a very fascinating fact. Did you at least watch the cartoon, too, growing mm. up? I never did catch the cartoon, unfortunately. It was, it, it was pretty good, as long as you're still under 10 when you watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Quick <laughs> sidebar question. Well. Uh, better villain, Dr. Wily or Dr. Robotnik? Oh, man. They're, they're both, uh, gosh, that's, that's too close to call because they're both very similar villains. They're, they're very comical, uh, uh, but at the end of the day, they're, they're, they're kind of incompetent villains as well. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. I I give a narrow lead to Wily. Because when you beat him, all the little forest animals jump out of him for no reason. <laughs> Fair enough. It's good reason as any, right? Yeah, yeah it's good reason as any. Uh, so, uh, JP, but it is worth noting that while Keiji Inafune is the father of Mega Man, he is pretty much the the main director of the Mega Man franchise and made it what it is today. Uh, Mega Man is not his creation. It, it, the first game and the original pixel art for Mega Man was created by a man named Akira Kitamura, who uh, who Inafune routinely gives credit to anytime he talks about Mega Man. So I just wanted to make sure that little tidbit is mentioned as well. And he will be given a a place right next to him on Mount Rushmore, uh, under Mount Rushmore, as is appropriate. And put a little topiary next to the next to the mountain for yes. his image. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm just drinking my shrubbery. Topiary. Yes, the shrubbery, the shrubbery of gaming. Uh, <laughs> uh, very well done, JP. And I think some of your picks maybe get heard again. Uh, Callie, the floor is yours for your four. four so four on the floor, really? Is what you're saying? <laughs> It is. Oh, nice Canadian right. reference there. <laughs> oh, I was going for like house music. Oh, okay. After all, we are manual transmission from the 1950s. There's also that. Well, I think and, and just... also, and also, that was what my mom told me when I needed to stop leaning back in my chair at the dinner table. <laughs> Unless you have the chair <laughs> that, that, that's good. The chair that Homer Simpson invented. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. No, you, was, you mean you mean Thomas Edison, right? Yes, except the hammer that he didn't. <laughs> but see, Fabio, I think of us as kids in the hall, so that there's a the Canadian reference. For exactly. Well, I think it was actually a precursor to Kids in the Hall. It was uh, a lot of the same actors, and uh, hey, you guys are—if you're the kids in the hall, you're on to uh, a, a bright, bright future. <laughs> uh, I want to so. be Dave Foley in the remake. Dang it! <laughs> All right, then, Kelly. Floor is yours. Okay, so my first pick is is obviously aligned with uh, JP's first pick, which was Gary Gygax. Yeah. Um, he was, you know, 
he was the father of RPGs. Um, it, there's so many things that pull from Dungeons and Dragons. You can't not give that to one of the creators of the, of the original game. Um, but I, again, I know someone else is going to talk about that. So I'll save, I'll save the big bucks for later. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody I did want to mention, and this is when I, when I did these, I kind of picked my, my top games and I, then I went back and got the creators for those games. Um, this particular person, um, his name is Takashi uh, Tezuki. He was the um, he was one of the founders for Pokemon, and mm. I think Pokemon is one of the most influential games, at least in in my life, still very relevant to this day, even if there are um, catastrophes in Chicago over how much <laughs> how much cell phone um, covers there is. But the game's been going strong for 25 years. It is a, it's a card game. It is a video game. It is a successful anime series. There are multiple movies, um, that go with it. And to, um, to, to not, or to, I don't know, just to give, give props to, um, Takashi for being the person who designed the original 150 Pokemon. He was a counterpart to one of JP's picks, um, uh, Satoshi. Um, he worked alongside him in developing the Pokemon. I think he was, was very relevant to today's world. He's still working on on several games. Um, for my for my next pick, I'm I'm gonna go with Ken Sugim, uh, Sugimori. He was he's worked on Mario. He has worked on uh, the Legend of Zelda, which was you know I started with the Legend of Zelda, which is Ocarina of Time is probably my all time favorite game. Um, he's worked on Firefox. Uh, and again, you know, a lot of these uh, Japanese game designers were so influential in Nintendo-based games that you can't leave them off of the Mount Rushmore um, mountain. But uh, Ken, I think Ken also worked on Super Smash Brothers, another game that I played a lot as a kid. And I wish we could talk um, a little bit more about the composers, but just the culmination of just Nintendo in general and the way they paired off their design with their, their musical abilities. Um, is really, uh, really monumental, at least for me and, and the way I grew up. Agreed. Now my my fourth pick. I don't think anybody else is is picked this person. Um, they're definitely out of left field, and that you you probably have never heard of her. Her name is Kim Swift. Um, she was one of the developers for Portal, uh, Left for Dead, and Half Life. She is just. I want to say like a couple years older than me. She's very young, um, but she's had so many successful games um, come out on multiple platforms. Um, she's considered one of the most influential uh, women under 30. Um, and she just keeps making fantastic thought provoking um, puzzling games for people to play that have high replay value. And while she's one of the younger ones that were pro- that probably going to be thrown into the bucket I, I feel like he's on the start to having a career that, um, that's going to be as great as some of the classics we're throwing out today awesome and I am so Very cool. happy to have a woman on this thank you Callie no problem <laughs> uh, those are great picks and they're all video game picks which is a perfect transition to Fabio because I think you're going to give us some more tabletop picks I will, and uh, I did not go as in-depth. I'm not going to be providing a short bio on a lot of these uh, gentlemen, but uh, 
I'll give a bit of an introduction anyway. So, yeah, my number one, as has been mentioned three times on the show, is Gary Gyax, who, um, you know, the creator of D&D, and as I mentioned, one of the founders of the Gen Con uh, show. Um, obviously, you know, when, when you talk, especially ourselves, when we talk to game designers, um, there are two references that, uh, that come up the most often in terms of inspirations and and what what made them fall in love with games and and number one is Gary Gyax. Uh, number two, without a doubt, is Richard Garfield, the designer and creator of Magic: The Gathering, mm. and that game has changed tabletop gaming forever. The idea of collectible card games uh, having having a first playable game that came out of packs. I mean, any, any of the big modern designers uh, use him as an influence and some as a major influence, some, um, you know, just as, you know, yes, I, I definitely know and played Magic the Gathering. I had my deck. It got to be too expensive because <laughs> some of the rare cards really, you know, became huge huge cards on the secondary market. Um, an example, uh, for those who have played Magic the Gathering, um, everyone knows the, the, the famous card Black Lotus. And um, because the cards themselves were, the design has a black border on them, uh, having top-notch mint copies are extremely hard to come by. And it was funny on the way home from Gen Con, we were doing a little bit of homework as to what these these cards are going for, and and there's several versions of it. Probably for an ungraded one. Uh, the one, the biggest one we saw that went up for auction recently, I believe, was from the beta set. So you have alpha, beta, and then unlimited. Mm. From beta, it was graded gem mint that recently sold for seventy five thousand. Yeah, so that one it, was. Uh, just a little bit of very recent history with Magic the Gathering. I'm actually sitting about 10 feet from uh, 14,000 Magic the Gathering cards right now. <laughs> so you know <laughs> what I'm talking about. <laughs> including a mint foil tar- Tarmogoyf, which is worth, I believe, about $400. Bravo, um, bravo. But the artist who actually did Black Lotus uh, mm. died about six months ago. Oh, and uh, when he died, the Black Lotus prices tripled. Uh, and it, so the the gym mints that the autograph gym mints were going for sixty, seventy, seventy five thousand dollars, but they actually crashed again in uh, June. Yeah. So now they're running around uh, seventeen to twenty five. Yeah, crazy, and it still has a major, major impact on all gaming shows. Yeah, you know they're. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at, at Gen Con, there were many, many booths where that was, you know, basically resellers of Magic the Gathering looking to buy, uh, you know, all kinds of graded copies, just, um, still a major, major part of, of the entire industry. So the next the next two gentlemen on my list um, are pretty equal, but I'm going to... Um, select this guy first because I've gotten to know him a little bit. And this is uh, Alan R. Moon, the designer of Ticket to Ride. 
Oh yeah. Yes. Well yeah. done. Yes. <laughs> so Ticket to Ride is one of those games that is commonly known as a gateway game, mm-hmm. uh, getting people in to hobby gaming, coming you know getting out of the the basics where you've played as a kid. Um, Ticket to Ride is one of those games that basically brought people in like a gateway drug. They get hooked on hobby games and, um, you know, this one and and another one I'm going to name afterwards are two that, uh, that really helped the, the, the hobby market for games grow. And, um, so Alan Moon for the past, I believe it's 25 years has, is the organizer of an event called the gathering of friends and originally, it was literally his friends that would get together at a hotel for the weekend and sit and play games. And it was an invitational thing where, um, you know, you, there were specific rules where, you know, you had to have at least two or three nominations for uh, someone to, to be included in the gathering of friends. And uh, anyway, uh, as luck should have it, this past year, I got an invitation and was able to attend this year. And got to meet Alan, and he, who is a super friendly guy, a really, really welcoming, and it's it's a really special event, the, the gathering of friends. Um, lucky for me, it, it it currently being held in Niagara Falls, New York, and uh, which is basically a 45 minute drive for me, so which made it that much that much easier to 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 be there. But it's you know now become a little bit more of an industry event where a lot of publishers and and designers get together and and you know they they get together in a very relaxed way you know a lot of business gets done but you're sitting around game tables literally throughout the night and uh so alan's the organizer and like i said i got to meet him and he's uh a really really good man and uh he's got a few few new games in the works too which uh i'm sure will will have a nice impact on on the industry and uh, my number four is a gentleman by the name of Klaus Tuber, who is the designer of Settlers of Catan. And basically, like Ticket yes. to Ride, Settlers of Catan, even even if you're not a, a, a consider yourself a gamer, um, you've you've been introduced to the game in one form or another. Uh, you know, in this day and age, it's easy to download the app and just play on your own. And, um, you know, this is a game that, that took a while to, to really make its mark. It was, it, it was published, it, been, it took about five years to get to the point where, where it became, um, you know, a, a big popular game. And, um, again, it, it, is, it is known as one of those games that introduced people to, to the, the, the kind of the modern age of board games. It was, uh, again, like Ticket to Ride, one of those that... It, it, it took games in a different direction, different types of mechanics. Um, so, and and you know, it, it's now become a part of pop culture. Um, you know, there was a great story recently. Uh, it would have been last year in the Wall Street Journal, uh, which told the story of the offensive linemen of the Green Bay Packers who have a regular Catan night, a hyper-competitive regular Catan night. And uh, it was great 
great for the hobby, you know, to, to, to know that, you know, worlds can collide. The, the jerk, the, the jerks, the jocks and the nerds can, can, <laughs> you know, have, have common playground. And, um, so, uh, uh, those were, those were easy, easy four for me. Um, uh, I'll mention two other names so people can, can look up on boardgamegeek.com, which is the, the source for any information on board games. Uh, two other names, Reiner Kinizia, um, another prolific designer, has won many of the, the big awards, Spiel des Jahres. Um, another gentleman uh, named Bruno Cathala, and he's the designer of uh, the game uh, King Domino that I had mentioned earlier, but that's one of the very uh, extensive list of games that he's designed. And again, uh, people can look, look up these two gentlemen on uh, board game geek it's uh, an amazing source of information that's an awesome list fabio like i can't dispute any of those choices so well played cool yeah, I com- thank I you completely thanks. agree thanks I for bringing actually... up Catan. yeah well it was yeah. an easy one the, the question for me was which one number three or number four and, uh, <laughs> thankfully the, the pers- all four get on there so well <laughs> yeah there you know theodore roosevelt's on there and we all know where he ranks <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no offense, TR, but you're up there with three giants. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, Matt. Yes. Uh, in, indulge us with your wisdom, because you, sir, of all the B&Qers, you are the epitome of the gamer in both video gaming and tabletop gaming. So, I have been awaiting your list with bated breath. Well... I, uh, I'm going to do something slightly unorthodox. So Not first of all, oh, right. So so first of all, I, I'm going to nominate five, four actual and one honorable mention, who frankly I think all should be sitting on the shoulders of my first pick, who we have all picked so far, <laughs> Gary Gygax. Now, <laughs> I have been playing Dungeons & Dragons for longer than I'm willing to admit. <laughs> I, I've actually, I've actually been playing uh, since I grew up playing it. In you know, I was I was playing it in the '90s, and without Gary Gygax's influence, I honestly think no modern gaming would exist the way it does now. And if it did, we'd be 15, 20 years behind where we are. Yep. And I, I genuinely think that the Mount Rushmore of gaming needs to be a bust of Gary Gygax with the rest on his shoulders. Or at least as tumors? It's not a tumor! Well, I have an idea. What if Gary Gygax is holding three D3s that are the faces of the others? Oh. oh. I like it. Except a D3 is geometrically impossible. D4. I understood what he meant. That works. Sorry, D- I was thinking triangle. D4. Tetrahedron. <laughs> so, the the reason one of the reasons I picked Gary Gygax is because he created a ruling that so many people ignore about Dungeons and Dragons, and he stated the number one rule of Dungeons and Dragons is honestly what I think the number one rule of all games should be: the first objective is to have fun. Mm. The rules are secondary. He he actually like st- 
he, he has repeatedly stated over the years that, yes, he wrote the rule book, but if the DM believes that a rule is detrimental to the enjoyment of the game, they can throw it out. They can also add rules to give more challenges and make the game more interesting if that is what works for that playing group. And I think that is singularly, one, the most ingenious, and two, the most important thing in all of gaming. It's almost it's, it's, it's an it's it's an attitude. It's a, almost a philosophy. Exactly. I I, I'm going to go academic on this for a second. Really, what that rule is is postmodernism in gaming. You've gone beyond yeah. the rules of art and have gone to a point where it's more about the act of the game as opposed to the objective. Yeah. Uh, so it is postmodern it, gaming. Yeah. It, it, it's not about following the rules. It's about experiencing the story. So that's my first pick. Beautiful. And my second pick <coughs> was also taken by JP, and that's uh, Miyamoto Shigeru, being the creator of Mario and Donkey Kong and The Legend of Zelda and Star Fox. And for all that is holy, I cannot emphasize enough F-Zero. Yeah, it's, it's what a good. game! What a game! Like F Zero is the second best racing game ever made, shortly behind Rock and Roll Racing, which like nobody cares about. But <laughs> it makes you warm and fuzzy. I've played it. I've played it. It's got a good soundtrack. Well, Rock and Roll Racing was the first video game to use licensed music. You can't really tell because it's like basically a MIDI file. But no, no, I I recognize the tunes, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The very first song on the game is Paranoid by Black Sabbath. Yeah. So Black Sabbath was the first licensed song in a video game. There's your fun gaming fact for the day. And we've well, been on a crazy next, train like, ever since. For the next two <laughs> minutes, I should say. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I could go on and on about Miyamoto's accomplishments, but, you know, we've only got an hour. <laughs> so my, uh, my third pick... Fabio beat me too, and we alluded to, yes, I am in a room with over 14,000 Magic the Gathering cards as we speak right now. I gotta give it to Richard Garfield. That game was formative to my childhood. I've been playing uh, Magic the Gathering since 1994. I started with Revised Edition. My wife, who's been on a couple episodes, Rachel, she has been playing since 1995 with the Ice Age expansion. Mm-hmm. So there's a reason we have as many cards as we do. <laughs> but, you know, between us, we've been collecting them for... Uh, for... 20... Oh, God. Yep. 23 years. <laughs> I've been playing this game, and she's been playing it for 22 You've been gathering them for 23 years? Yes. Uh, I, I, uh, I still have cards from Revised Edition. Uh, as, as our listeners may know, uh, I was in the Army many years ago, and uh, when I deployed, I carried two things inside of my helmet, one being a picture of my uh, then-fiancé, now wife, the other being a 5th edition Devastation card, which, uh, yeah, 
I still awesome. have it. I still have the Devastation card that I carried in my helmet. It, it is in a binder. It, it's, it's double-sleeved and in the binder page on its own page. That is super cool. Super, super, super cool. <laughs> I am such a freaking nerd. Which <laughs> is why you belong in Big Nerdy Headquarters, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I can never, ever say enough about Magic the Gathering. So, all I will say is I currently run a white-red life gain burn deck. Yes, go ahead and hate me, listeners. It is evil. <laughs> so, my uh, my fourth pick, which I'm honestly surprised, no, I'm really surprised no one's mentioned. All hail the mighty Gaben, Gabe Newell. Nice. He is the founder of Valve Incorporated. He, he and a group of friends left Microsoft to create Valve, and Valve in turn released... You know, a few things you may have heard of, like the Half-Life series, Counter-Strike, Team Fortress. Oh, and don't forget, Steam. Wow. I didn't know that. Yes, Gabe Newell owns Steam. He created All Steam. All hail. All hail. And, <laughs> yeah. And why did I make him my fourth pick instead of my third? Because if he was my third pick, people would be all like, Half-Life reconfirmed! <laughs> <laughs> you knew what happened to him. Without Steam, I would have never played any current games because my last yeah. console was a Wii. Uh, I, me I, too. I, my Steam and... let me play my first real game. Well, my first MMORPG was Star Trek Online, but my first real game with Steam was Fallout 3. And I mentioned before on this show how influential Fallout has been on me as a gamer, me as a, a nerd. Steam was my avenue for it, so all hail. All hail, Gabe. <laughs> Glory to his name. Uh, yeah, and, and I've got one honorable mention I have to give, because, yes, with Gaben, we had Steam, which brought so many people into PC gaming and allowed for a lot more versatility, a lot more openness to uh, operating system. Because until then, you pretty much had to have Windows to play games. There were a, there were very few games that worked on Mac. There were some, but not a lot. And there were even fewer games that were Linux compatible. And Steam has been working tirelessly to encourage more and more games to work with cross-platform functionality. Well, cross-operating system functionality. But I have to give an honorable mention to Bill Gates. Huh. I considered that, too. Yeah. No. My reasoning for the honorable mention to Bill Gates is that without Bill Gates, we would not have Windows or the Xbox. And the vast majority of PC gaming, since the release of Windows all the way through now, the vast, vast, vast majority of PC gaming occurs on Windows computers. And let's it just it, does. Everyone still remembers when they finished Solitaire and the decks jumped around. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude, if nobody told you it was coming the first time, it freaked you clean the hell out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I broke it! Or the first time that I made the face smile on Minesweeper, I was like, yes! <laughs> and not only that, but every single one of the founding members of Valve 
left Microsoft to create that company. Every single one of them was, in some form, an employee of Bill Gates. And then they opened a portal to Valve. Uh, I'm making a note here. Huge success. Yes. Huge. (laughs) There'll never be a better success than that one. That's right. Don't you forget it. (laughs) Those are awesome picks, Matt. And before I reveal mine, Ed, who couldn't be with us tonight, uh, he is uh, now taking JP's spot at the Barney Fan Con. (laughs) Well, somebody's got to cover the table. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) so uh, get your commemorative uh, baby bops with Ed. Uh, but uh, he did send his list of four. Uh, no surprise with the first two, Gary Gygax and Shigeru Miyamoto, of course. The other two, no one has chosen yet, and they're not on my list, so they're unique to Ed's. Uh, the first is the former president of Nintendo, Satoru Iwata. Mm-hmm. And the second is the man behind the Metal Gear series, Hideo Kojima. Nice. Uh, so I wanted to make sure I got listed those off for Ed. Uh, those are very good picks as well. Uh, and now my four. Now, of course, um, number one is Gary Gygax. So he's unanimous. So he's on Mount Rushmore for gaming, everybody. Stop. Yeah. He's on it. Uh, my second choice uh, was uh, Shigeru Miyamoto. So he's pretty much on it <laughs> already. He's already got three people. Well, yeah. four, sorry. I can't count. <laughs> now, my other two are not video game picks. My first one, I'm going OG for board games, and I've chosen Milton Bradley. Ooh. I almost mm. did. Yeah. Uh, I almost went for that. The inventor, uh, essentially the inventor of the modern board game, uh, with his game that he called the Checkered Game of Life, which he patented around 1860. Um, and he was looking for a lucrative product, and he decided to come out with this game. Uh, and the game had you go through social values and social uh, pitfalls. Of course, prison and ruin uh, are bad. Suicide is bad. <laughs> That's a real thing in the game. Uh, but it evolved into the game of life. And, of course, he's more familiar as the name is probably you think of the company Milton Bradley. And in the 20th century, Milton Bradley was responsible for Easy Money, Candyland, Operation, Battleship, uh, and many others. And now is now part of the Hasbro. Uh, but Milton Bradley is the OG game designer uh, for board games. Yes, there were games earlier like Chess and Checkers. And Mancala. Uh, Moncala, exactly. But when you think of the modern American kind of game, like a Monopoly, like something like that, the first one is his from 18C. So I had to put Milton Bradley on here just for sheer originality at the time. Number four is Odd. He was an Odd Duck himself, but I wanted to give this spot to somebody who turned gaming into science. And made gaming the most one of the most influential things in all of mathematics. The fourth slot on my mountain is John Nash. The great John Nash. Uh, there was no him. shortage of gnashing of teeth. <laughs> you oh. know him from A Beautiful Mind, and that story has a lot of uh, lib- liberal inaccuracies with the truth. But it is the fact that John Nash innovated game theory. The use of gaming 
as a way to analyze political science, to analyze sociology and mathematics more generally. Without game theory, the modern science of probability and statistics, upon which a lot of video games and RPG board games are built, wouldn't exist. Uh, the prisoner yeah, dilemma. but it would have saved me three college classes. <laughs> uh, the Prisoner Dilemma, John Nash. Uh, and of course he won the Nobel Prize for his work in economics. I know he's not a game designer per se, but I don't think I would have felt right as a you know, person who studied political science not putting John Nash on this Mount Rushmore. That's Fair cool. enough. So those are my picks. That's what do you guys think about those? Quite well, a diverse group. I think all, all together we've touched on quite a, quite a wide range of, of designers and people of, of influence that have, that have made gaming what it is today. It's a, uh, uh, yeah, a few I would have. It would have taken me a few years to come up with, but really cool stuff. <laughs> I, think I adjust a... my monocle approvingly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, so we we have two that are pretty clear consensus: yeah. Gary Gygax yeah. and Shigeru Miyamoto. And I think Mr. Garfield is a pretty good pick for number three because you've got two minions here. Yeah. Uh, but. We still need audience input, like last time. Don't you agree, JP? We lifted up to them last time, and they gave us our final four. Yes, they uh, did. And as a reminder, the four people who are currently on the Mount Rushmore of television are, in no particular order, uh, Gene Roddenberry, Joss Whedon, Sidney Newman, and Rod Serling. Uh, so those are the four that are on it right now from the television category. Who is going to join Gary Gygax and Shigeru Miyamoto on this Mount Rushmore. In the next sure, week or two, Probably one of them, yes. Uh, but in, in the next few weeks, we're going to be putting out polls uh, for the different... Uh, with each of the combinations of names, and we'll eventually release a poll on Twitter where you, the listeners, will make the final cut. So how this will work, uh, each of us... So besides Gygax and Miyamoto, we'll take the names from each of our lists and do a poll for each person's individual list. The top person from that poll will move on to the final poll and the top two in that final poll will join Gary Gygax and Shigeru Miyamoto on the Mount Rushmore of Gaming and advance to the season finale where we crown the Mount Rushmore of all of nerddom. Uh, So it is in your hands, listeners. Uh, like Howie Mandel might say on America's Got Talent, you gotta go vote. Uh, but while you're voting, you can also retweet this episode and enter into the contest to get a game from Fabio's company, which is amazing. And you should do that right now. Like, go to the episode right now and retweet it. Uh, we're not kidding. Just go do it right now. Uh, right, Matt, because if you don't do it right now, Matt's not going to kill Jar Jar. So we're waiting. And while we're waiting for you, I do want to thank our panel. Thank you, JP. Absolutely. Thank you, Callie. Because. And Fabio, you've been an amazing guest. Uh, we hope you come back soon to give us more of your game knowledge. Oh, it's my pleasure, eh? <laughs> <laughs> and please give our best to all of our uh, Canadian friends that we've been talking to lately as well. Tell Trudeau I said hey. <laughs> you guys love him, don't you? <laughs> oh, I love Trudeau. <laughs> <laughs> On the cover of a Rolling Stone. Well, I was thinking more of Bobby, Trish, and Katie, but yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Matt, thank you as well. Uh, and for rolling a 20 in dexterity and a 1 in strength, Jar Jar must die. Uh, so, Matt, kill the Gungan! Well, 
Given the topic of tonight's episode, there's only one way he truly can die. You see, he came to the table, and I tapped two red mana and five mana of any color of my choosing, and cast the sorcery Devastation, which destroys all creatures and lands. This includes your creatures and lands and the Gungan. Death by Magic the Gathering. Well played. But now imagine what if Darth Jar Jar got the Black Lotus. You better get it on turn one. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I think that works. (laughs) Um, So thank you so much, Matt, and thank you, Fabio, JP, and Callie, for an amazing episode. Listeners, let us know your thoughts. Good night, everybody. (laughs) 